You know, I was listening to the words again. Awesome. What does awesome mean? Full of awe. Awful. Something that's awful, it's good. It's full of awe. Full of... You know, it's, words change their meanings, as I mentioned this morning. In fact, it reminds me of a king in England who was a painter, and he asked his one of his helpers, what do you think of my, of my painting? And the servant said, sire, I find it awful. And guess what? Artificial. The king was pleased. See, because the words meant the awful, full of awe, inspiring, artificial, full of art. That's what it is. <laughs> That's how words change. <laughs> Today, of course, that servant will have his head hung. <laughs> now, I have good news for you. Practically every time after the week of unleavened bread, the people next day, they cry, come to us, to the ministers, saying, I committed impardonable sin. What did you do? Well, when I went home, the next day I found some bread, crumbs, whatever it is, under the carpet, wherever it is. Well, I have news for you. If you have found crumbs at home, or even a loaf of bread, this happened. So, this someone apparently had the whole loaf of bread in the closet and forgot about it. <laughs> and after the feast, says, oh my, what did I do? Did I commit the impardonable sin? No, you have not committed. Just throw it away, don't eat it. And uh, ask God to forgive you. But what could be unpardonable sin if that leaven of the bread is still in your heart or your, in your attitude? You see, the unpardonable sins, for those who want to know, it's something you know and you know that you know and you do it purposely, willingly against it. So don't worry about if you have found some crumbs or a loaf of bread, throw it away, ask God to forgive you, and just go on. You know, it's interesting because of the fact uh, some of us are so concerned about breaking the law in the sense of a physical sense that we forget that the most important thing is how much leaven have you kept in your heart since you started keeping the unpardonable, the holiday, this holiday here. You see, brethren, oftentimes we do look at the physical things and we forget the most important aspect of it. We should not overlook the physical, but above all things, check your heart and see how much leaven is left there yet. How much hatred, how much anger, how much evil thoughts, those are the things you have to be careful about. As I mentioned this morning, <clears throat> the most important thing for all of us to be sure we have found the truth. If we are sure, there is no danger that we can ever leave the truth. I've had many friends in the ministry who were sure of having found the truth, at least I thought they were, they are no longer with us. Why? What 
make us leave the church. That's my subject in a way on this last day of the unleavened bread. What leaven was there left in their hearts which made them leave the church? You see, once you find the truth, you know it's truth, how can you leave? That would be impossible sin if he had really understood, grasped, knew this is it. Well, the answer is very simple. Because of leaven in their hearts. They did not put away the leaven in their hearts. They put away the physical leaven. My question is to you, how much leaven do you still have in your hearts? Hatred, anger, dislike, criticism, rebellion. Those are the leaven which eventually will put you out of the church, or you will put yourself out of the church. I remember one day someone called Mr. Armstrong and says, I don't agree the way you do things. The answer was very simple. He says, I'm sure you don't. If your answer, if your ways of doing things better than mine, God would have put you in my place. <laughs> That's what it is. See, this is the way to reason. You know, the ministers don't always do the way you want things to be done. I'm not saying they are perfectly far away. But decisions we make, and we make those decisions prayerfully, if you, don't, if you don't agree, find out why it was so. You will never be able to satisfy everyone. That's out of the question. But if you see the reason, if you know the reasons why decisions are made, whether you agree or not, at least know that God did guide this. Some people criticized when we closed the college in Pasadena. It was hard. It was heartbreaking. I didn't want to come to with all respect to Charlotte. I didn't want to see the college closed. I would have fought, and I did fight, believe it or not. We had a two days meeting, Council of Elders in Pasadena, and because Mr. Armstrong had to explain to us why we had to close it. So once we understood all the reasons why, and we knew that some people would complain. We said, all right, we'll go ahead with it. And we back it up. So the secret is this. Again, just to help you to put in the mood. If you don't agree with the decision made, take it up with God. Let him do it. If you're wrong, he's going to let you know that you are wrong. If we are wrong, God is going to sit with that. It's in due time it changed. I assure you. So, this is the attitude. This is the converted attitude. We'll never have a full church, let's say, everyone agreeing with everything we do. That's out of the question. And you know what? Satan is there just to stir things up. Some people leave the church because of the fact they give in to Satan's influence. Or their own uh, physical weaknesses. Now, I would like to explain to you what Satan does. We know how Satan knows human nature because he has put his own nature in the human carnal nature. Satan knows what the human heart is. 
God allows him. And God allowed him to tempt us. It's up to us. We can accept it or we can reject it. But be sure that everything Satan offers you, it's always appealing to your human carnal mind. That's why some people leave. Because the thoughts he puts in his heart, in our hearts, it's pleasing to us. It's agreeable. It's good. You know why? Because Satan did rebel himself. He knows exactly what is our weakest point. And God has allowed him to tempt us our weakest point, each one of us. Satan will try, let's say, take my example, attack me on my weakest point, which might be different from your weakest point, sticking point. He knows, therefore, see what rebellion is, if criticism is your weakest point, he's going to stir up your mind. So be criticizing. You'll be seeing wrong. Brethren, if you see others in the church criticize, please tell them you don't want to hear it. That's it. Simple. If they don't like you, well, I, I, I'm sure that it's, if there's a way of going around it, but you say, look, I love you, but I don't want to hear criticism. I love you, but I don't want to hear rebellion against authority. It doesn't mean that, again, I repeat, the things we do are always right, but God will see to it that they will turn right if they were wrong. See, if, if you understand the, the simple truths, then you have a converted attitude. Then you have your leaven out of your heart. Some people have been in the ministry, as in the church, as in the old time, at the apostles' time, and they wanted to be higher positions. Let God put you in a higher position. Because if you put yourself, if you push yourself up, you will fall flat on your face. That's why some people, whether they were ministers, deacons, or just uh, simple members of the church, they left the church. Because they did not get what they wanted. They did not think they were recognized and that their talents were not appreciated. I'm not criticizing, I don't have anyone in mind. I've got a group of people in mind. Now the week of unleavened bread helps us understand if you can put out of your mind, out of your heart, any kind of envy, any time of jealousy, any time of wanting to be bigger than you actually are, you are almost on the verge of putting yourself out of the church. This is, you know, the truth, the truth is simple. It's hard to do it, I know. But the fact is, let God do it. If you let God do it, sooner or later things happen in the right way as far as you're concerned. So, why some of us fell? Because they fell to Satan's influence. Satan knows what it means to fall. Satan, before became Satan, was Lucifer. He brought light. He knew. 
He knew exactly what it meant to be in full glory. But let, he let himself to be influenced by jealousy, by envy, by criticism. It was real, true leaven, spiritual leaven. And that brought him down, as you know. For anyone in his position or anyone's position to be like God, that's what he wanted. He was over all the ministers, so to speak, all the angels on earth. He, he wasn't happy. He was full of glory. He wasn't happy. He wanted to be like God. See, that, that's what makes people fall. Because Satan will influence you, will see to it that you too will have such ideas. Now, something that came to me recently, in fact, even I, before or after I prepared this sermon here, how did Satan tempt the first couple? Compare that, how did Satan tempt Christ? I, I never thought there's a tre tremendous similarity. See, and how will Satan tempt you and me? Satan has many ways of tempting us. But what did, did he do with the first couple? The first thing, rebellion against God, look, says, it's all right, you can eat what you want. But then afterwards, when the woman look at the fruit, whether it's apple or not, I don't know. But it was good to look at. It was good. Something was pleasing. Now see, that's the way Satan goes. He's going to make you look at things and you will see that that thing is good. Pleasing it to the eye. You can read it. I'm, I won't turn to it. But you see, the very thoughts, the, how did you do with Christ? When Christ was famished after 40 days of famine, Satan offered him bread. See, again, same idea. Ask, you know, your angel to, be, to, to give you to eat. How did Christ answer it? See, we have examples. The same thing with the Israelites. They came out of Egypt, the first thing they wanted, they complained because they did not have anything to eat. So there's a tremendous parallel there. Now, therefore, he's going to tempt you and me with things that we need most, which are appealing to us. So have that in mind as we go along. We started with food, then it goes a little bit higher up. Saying, well, how about uh, 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 appealing to your, let's say, ambition? And he did something with Christ. He did the same thing with the first man. He says, you won't die, you'll be even great. You'll be immortal. Ambition. Leaven. And likewise, with Christ, of course, he said, look, you will have dominion over all the kingdoms of the world. He had the power to give it to Christ. Christ would have told him, no, you don't have the power. But he knew that God, the Father, had given Satan that privilege until Christ sets his own kingdom on earth. 
So what was Christ's answer? Get thee behind Satan. See, God gives us the answers every time. If you have such temptations, such ambitions, such offers, your answer is get thee behind. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it's one of the most important verses because of the fact Satan knows that he will not be able, let's say, to deceive the church members unless he does something. And I'll show it to you. In the world, Satan can't fool people, can't deceive people, but that's not his interest. Because in the world, if people are seduced by Satan, if they fall, they haven't lost their eternal life. In the church of God, if we willingly, willfully sin, then we have had it. That's why Satan is interested in getting us more than other people, primarily. And that's why God allows, let's say, Satan to cause 20,000 people die in the Old Testament. Sad, tragic, but you see, those people did not lose their eternal life. Whereas people in the New Testament, after getting the truth and understanding the truth, having God's Spirit, if they, or you and me, if they rebel willfully, this is it. Therefore, you see, unleavened bread week, which is about over this this weekend, this rather this this day, teaches us one thing: be sure that you don't stir up God's spirit among us. In other words, don't turn against your brother in the church. Look what he says, Revelation chapter twelve, verse nine: the great dragon, the cast out. The serpent of old called the devil. See, oh, it's all there. That's a description of Satan who deceives the whole world. So Satan has done the job. He knows he has deceived the world, but you see, don't be deceived yourself or I. We should be immune from Satan's attacks or way of handling things. And look what he does. And this is the most important part of it. Who was cast to the earth his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a voice saying, Now the salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ our hand. For the accuser, look at this, accuser of what? Of whom? It's not accuser of humanity, accuser of our brethren. There it is. Who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This is your problem. This is my problem. When you start talking it against one another, accusing one another, as Satan's doing it, because Satan wants you to just fall, and the only way he can get you is by your human nature. And the only way you can fight against him, as I said, just say, get me behind Satan. Don't talk against each other. Don't accuse each other as Satan will push you to. If you don't agree with something, as I said, go and see the person. If you don't understand something in the ministry, go and see a minister. Come to me if, if you know me, if I'm here. I explain to you. It doesn't mean you're going to agree with it, but at least don't complain. God will see to it that 
in due time, if you were right, things will be shaped up your way, if that's the case. Most of the time, most of the time it is not so. Understanding the truth enables you to realize that God's way of things are always good. Satan will see to it that you will find something wrong with it. Someone told me some time ago, why unleavened bread? Look, I don't have to understand. I know the principle. I know why God does it. As to why unleavened bread, I don't know. If they put that unleavened something else, but you see, he knows. God knows what is the way, best way of helping us understand. But he does not want us to be critical. Most of the time, when you think seriously, you will see that you are criticizing a friend, a church member, God, God's decision, a minister. Now we get quite a few letters at the CID. People criticize their minister. Will you please help our minister understand, they say. Well, I wish they would say, will you please help us understand? That's what it is. It's, it's simple, but you see, we humans see the way things our way, and we somehow think we are right, and Satan encourages us to think that way. If you have not heard anything during this, let's say, week of unleavened bread, anything else, if this helps you, please understand, don't criticize. Don't judge each other. Don't judge the church. Don't judge, judge the ministers. As Christians, we should be steadfast in our decisions. We accepted Christ. We accepted God's way. We promised. We made a vow. Stick to it. Satan will do everything possible he can do to make you change your mind. You know what's happening in the Church of God and what happened, why people left the church? Still, might leave, I don't know. Because there are two ways of doing things, God's ways and man's ways. And man's ways are Satan's ways in a way because inspired in the Satan's influence. What did Christ say? How did, you'll be surprised, brethren, if you see Christ's way of explaining things. Take the New Testament, for instance. As I mentioned this morning, see the way Christ shows things, explains things. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I mean, you cannot be any clearer than this. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. There it is. Either God is your God, or Satan is your master. No one can serve two masters, Matthew six twenty four. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will love, he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot be any clearer this is Christ those are Christ's words. He says you cannot serve God and Mammon Satan. You see, this is the truth. This is why we have the week of unleavened bread that we can just understand once and for all that God is our God and his ways are always good we have to just 
live accordingly. Why do people leave the church? Because they have two masters. And they follow the masters which appealed to their human carnal mind. They followed the master which, or who, let's say, promised them wrong hopes, wrong ideas. Today, especially, we are living last days, as you know. You know, we have preached, we've been preaching this for, for years. But at the time, it wasn't that clear. Today, it's clear. When you see millionaires in this country go broke, go hungry, I read the other day in the paper that some of the millionaires are living at Salvation Army. Because they lost everything. You know, it's impossible to believe. And that's what we are. Therefore, today it's much easier to follow Satan's ways. Don't let that happen to you. Because the things which we see today, we are going to see get worse, believe me. I hate to see this. I'm a very positive person, but I have to also say that what it is, it's happening is true. So we are living in the last days. Our battles, as Mr. Armstrong used to say, we have three enemies. First of all, Satan, then the world, and also finally as you can see, our nature. Those three enemies were the same from the very beginning. That's why some people fall today and fell. That's why Israelites fell. That's why Adam and Eve fell. Because they did not recognize those three enemies. And the, the worst of all, believe it or not, it's yourself, your own, your own enemy. You do it to yourself more harm than anyone else can do. I remember I wrote an article some time ago in the Good News in Pasadena. The title was The Trunk of the Tree. I gave a sermon on the subject. Let's stick to the trunk of the tree. If you have that in mind, brethren, Satan will never get you. The trunk of the tree is what really is given to us by Christ in the Bible. I remember after Mr. Armstrong died and the church began to divide and uh, I had to give a sermon in Pasadena. They said to, because some people said, look, you told us that Christ's church is one. Once you are in it, you can never leave, which we don't want to do. Therefore, you see, we're sticking to the truth because the church of God where we came still here whatever they teach they preach will stick to it see that's misunderstanding the Bible look what Christ says so, in other words I say yes don't you can never live in the church it's true provided the church is the body of Christ if Christ is not the head then the church is not church See, that's where the whole thing is. Yes, you should never, you can never leave the church. The church at the beginning was the body of Christ. When you start breaking the God's laws, when you start doing the things your way and turning against God, it's no longer the body of Christ. Therefore, 
it's not longer the church that we can leave. That's why we left. That's why Mr. Meredith left. That's why we ministers left because one time it was right. We just had to do it. Look what Christ says, John 15. It's very clear. 1 and 4, verses 1 and 4. I'm the true vine. My father is the wine dresser. Every branch, we have the branches. That does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That he may bear more fruit. You see, and then verse 5, verse 4. Abide in me. There's the key. The church cannot be the church of Christ or the head Christ as the head unless we abide in him. When the head of the church, physically speaking, turned away from God's truth, and that, 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 that was no longer the body of Christ. It was a body of men whose head was not Christ, but was only human beings. That's why we left the church. The church, in a sense, if we did not leave the church, we left the body which was dead. And we stuck to the body which is alive, which is stuck to the, to, to the vine. It's abide in me, verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There's, there's the whole answer. Why did some people leave the church or may still leave the church? Because they don't abide in Christ. You don't abide to a dead body. And this is something I try to explain when I travel. The church we came from, out from, it's dead because Christ is no longer the head. I don't want to be or stuck with the dead body. Christ's church is alive. And we should go that way. See, the key to victory, to success, is always the same. Beware, beware Satan's attacks, Satan's criticism. Now, Satan has many snares or traps, if you want to. And the same ones, as I mentioned a moment ago, that he offered with the, to the same first couple, he succeeded. The first couple fell. The same snares, there's quite a few of them, but I have three in mind. The first nation God called, they too fell. And the same Christ was tempted by Satan. Satan attacked again Christ with the same tricks that he presented to the first couple or to the first nations God chose. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about. There are many, many snares. I would like to give you three, if I have time, and which is more or less continuation of the sermon I get this morning and try to understand the first snare that Satan will you lose is rebellion and he's, a, he's an expert he is an expert because he knows what rebellion is he did it he fell and he wants every one of us to just fall 
He rebelled against God's authority. So whatever your position, avoid rebellion. You will always have someone over you. A wife has a husband, a child has parents. In an office, you have your man over you, and so forth. In a country, we have civil government. Don't rebel. Not that thus everyone is perfect, far from it. But look, let God handle it. If you are right, God will come to your rescue. In the meantime, God will protect you so that you won't be hurt. You might rebel against the church, in the, in the church against the authority, in the nation against the authority, in the family against the authority, and so forth. Pray every day so God will give you the same beautiful attitude of submission. Because that's what God says. God will not forsake you. Therefore, you see, don't say, well, what do I do? Just do I accept something which is wrong? No, you don't accept, but it, let God change it. Because that's something which is not right, let's say. Maybe it is right. I don't know. We are judging from a human point of view. Satan will see to it that he will deceive you by your carnal ambition. Rebellion comes from ambition. You think you know better. Let me give you one example. Numbers chapter 12. Here we have Aaron and Miriam. That's Moses' brother and sister. Okay, look, there, there's some family. God used Moses, God used Aaron, God used Miriam. And they were doing a good job. All of a sudden they rebel. Why? Remember Numbers 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against, there it is, against Moses. Why? Because oh, the Ethiopian woman he had married. This had happened 20 years ago. All of a sudden, something, I don't know what happened here. They turned against him. They criticized Moses because he had married Ethiopian woman. Who was right? Who was wrong? God is always right. Look at God will answer. First of all, they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? There's your jealousy. Moses was the head. They were helping him. They were working with him. But all of a sudden, that rebellion, has he not spoken through us also? You know, Moses is the only one. How about us? The Lord heard it. And it's interesting because the Bible specifies who Moses was. He was the very humble. More than Saul. More than many people. All the people on the face of the earth. So, Aaron and Miriam, Miriam under Moses' authority, they rebelled. What happened? You know the rest of the story. They were punished. Not Moses. They were punished. Moses had to, had to pray for Miriam so that she will be healed from leprosy. See, this is the way it goes. And Moses had to pray. Otherwise, Miriam would have died of leprosy. Paul writes in Romans 8, 8 verse 7 to 8, 
The carnal mind is enmity against God. This is carnal mind. You have it, I have it. The only way to get rid of the carnal mind is have let's God's mind, God's spirit lead us. All the time you know the answer, you know what to do, but you don't want to do it because of pride, human pride. No, the carnal mind is enmity with God. Not subject to the law. Not, not indeed it can't be. Why? If my mind cannot be subject to God, I cannot be, where is my, what can I do? Repent. Repent. Get baptized. Receive God's spirit. Then you have the power to fight against carnal minds. Most of you here are ba- baptized. Most of you have the power to fight against temptation. What God says through the Bible, through the uh, writings in about authority we're talking about, not rebellion, as I mentioned, in, in every aspect we have this tendency to rebel. Look at marriage, Ephesians chapter 5. You know this thing by heart, I won't have to read. But you see, we don't like it. We don't agree with it. Some churches have taken Ephesians 5 out of, out of the Bible. Because it's God. God says, wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. Wives cannot sub- submit to their husbands except as to the Lord. That part, don't leave it out. That leave it in. And you say, well, how can I? And you know, we have so many letters I received at the CAD. My husband is so and so. I understand. But there's your as to the Lord. And then Paul says the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, as Christ is the head of the church. There it is. Don't leave that part out. It is a comparison, the church and the wife. Therefore, it says the church is subject to Christ as it is so. The wife should also be to their own husband in, look at everything. But again, in, the, in Christ. Once you understand this, then you understand decisions made about the end are in the church of God and then look at what says verse 27 so that Christ may might present her I mean, the church might present herself to Christ in glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing those are the things Satan would like to destroy and he's doing it. Believe me, I never th- thought in my life when I was in Pasadena that anyone in the Church of God will divorce any family. The first time it's happened after a few years I was in the church, we were horrified. I said, that's not possible. How can this happen? Today, brethren, I'm, f- I'm ashamed to say we have quite a few church people separating. People who were actually married before God, made them vow, both of them baptized members, they divorce. Why? Because rebellion. Because Satan is still stirring things up. That's why I say be careful that you don't really turn against God's orders. Ephesians 6 same idea of authority. Uh, children don't like authority. 
But of course, children are, are not responsible most of the time of their doings. But Paul writes, Ephesians 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents, again, in the Lord. In other words, if the parents tell the child, for instance, which is against God, then the child might not do it. But again, you have to be in the right attitude. Reminds me of a story. Let me just share it with you. Years ago, the French radio broadcast uh, all over France in, on, on Radio Luxembourg, powerful station. I used to do the sermons. And the child of 12 years old wrote to me. He said, Mr. Partiani says, I love your messages, but my parents tell me not to listen to. So what do I do? Do I obey my parents? I mean, you know, it's a good question. But I want to hear because I know that what you're saying is true. I didn't have the answer because he found an answer by himself. He bought a portable radio, went to the attic. In the morning at 5 o'clock, he listened to it. See? Now, he, that, that boy was, in a way, rebellion toward the parents' authority because of the like parents did not give him the right order. I don't know what, where he is now, I cannot say. But this, there's always a way. So Paul says, therefore, you see, you have to submit yourself to authority. Honor your father, verse 2, Ephesians 6, and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. We just you have to, you will live longer. Now, and then Paul also writes to, the, to us fathers, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children. So those, those are leavens. In other words, if you, as a father, don't know how to handle your children's questions or how to govern with love, it's always as in the Lord, Christ, how does Christ govern the church? It's always with love. It's always abiding me and I have in you, but, and ask and you should be given. Those are promises. You should also be able, as a human being, on a human level, answer your family needs that way if your husband or a wife doesn't matter. In other words, respect authority, don't rebel. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. We're still talking about rebellion. There are three scenarios, as you see. This is the first scenario. Just let everyone, every, everyone be subject to the, to, God, to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. God is settled, established. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Not that God approves, no. But the post, the, the job itself, it's of God. Therefore, it says, verse 2, Roman, uh, Romans 13, verse 2, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring them judgment on themselves. I remember Mr. Raymond McNair. Somehow he had, shall I say, favorite verses. All of us have. And one of his favorite verses was 
First Timothy chapter two, verse one and two. Strange, but it's interesting. It's it's very important for all of us. First Timothy verse chapter two, verses one and two. Therefore, says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving thanks be made for all men. See again, all God means all. Now, what is he talking about? And he explains, verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. Yes, all those in authority in government that we may lead, explains why, we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in, in all godliness and reverence. At the first time when I heard Raymond mention this, I knew, of course, that I said, wow, I never thought of it that way. That I should pray that we may lead, especially today, brethren. Some people tell us, tell us that I did especially, well, let's start a more broadcast in Charlotte. Well, we already have some, but anyway, I never know. But suppose that we are more and more, we more and more known, then you're going to attract more and more persecution. So we have to pray so that God will protect us. You see, those are the things we have to have in mind. Uh, look at the world today. I remember so well, there was a lady in Brussels. At the time, she listened to Radio Luxembourg, the sermons we had. She told me, she says, I know what you're preaching is true, but I don't think that you are the church of God because you are not preaching the gospel around the world. See, at the time, we did not have internet. We did not have all the things we have today. I said, Madam, I don't know, but that one day we will be able to. I don't know how. Today, do you realize that we can preach the gospel around the world as a witness? Any place, any time, without any problem, except the money. Even that is not important, because you can actually have a message, suppose the booklets. For $500, I understand, you can have a booklet translated in any language. So there it is. I wish we had that means about when I was talking to that lady. But today we can really preach the gospel around the world as a witness anytime. We're doing already. We are increasing more and more our capacity. See, those things that we complained before, let's say we as a generally speaking, those things are happening today. At the, at the time, it wasn't time to do those things. Mr. Armstrong didn't know the start with television. He started with a small radio station. And he would tell us, look, we're going to start one day a bigger. The day he heard about computer, at the time a computer was as big as uh, almost one-fourth of this home. It was. And when he saw it, he said, why so much? We need that. <laughs> See, he saw it. It was a million dollars, I remember. We can even afford it. He said, no, we need that. Today I've got in my pocket that same computer. <laughs> See, that's where we are. See, we did not have. Likewise, when the TV came, he says, he switched to the Television. He did not give up the radio. 
but television. See, looking ahead, and today, even though we are preaching the gospel to convert people, but Christ says, as you know, Matthew 24, 14, we have to preach the whole world to the whole world as a witness. And that part we are doing it, we'll be doing more and more. Okay, this will go on for a so I better stop here and get to this second scenario. But let me just give one more about the or rebellion. James chapter 4. James write, draw near, verse 8. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Those are promises infallible. God means what he says. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts and double-minded people. See, we're in the middle of, middle of or at the end of week of unleavened bread. This is what God expects us to do. Draw near to Him and cleanse our hands, our hearts. Purify. The second pride or the second snare. As I said, Satan uses three major snares. Many more, but at least three measures I'm taking today. You know what it is? The first was rebellion. Second is pride. Many things you do is because of pride. In fact, it's part of rebellion too, if you want to. But let me quote James, what he says about pride. He says, James 4, verse 4. Adulterers, and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world, he says, makes himself an enemy of God. Don't you know, or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Some people under, misunderstand the word jealous. The word jealous in the Bible comes from the Greek means zealous. God is jealous. God is zealous. Zeal. In other words, God is jealous in the sense that he does not want to lose those whom he has called. And he wants us to be zealous. It's the same origin as far as the words are concerned. James writes, again James 4 verse uh, 5, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, verse 6, God resists, look at this, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That verse alone is enough to understand what the leaven is. Pride is a leaven. It has to be put out of our lives. Not only one week. It's forever. Because... Pride is going to prevent you, prevent me, from entering God's kingdom. See, it's simple. Once you understand, you know why leaven plays such a big role in our lives. So don't be proud. Be humble. As many examples I can give you, you know, when the disciples wondering who was going to be the biggest among them, the most important, what did Christ do? He took a child. He says, whoever is like this child will be the greatest among us, among you. That's what it is. 
A child does not have a pride in the sense of the way we have it, grown-ups. So, don't be proud. You see, a child does not really know what pride is. He forgets next day. But we human beings don't forget. And we become jealous. Humility, I repeat, is the, is the key. I don't care what you do in your lives. I don't care how much you study. If you don't have that humble attitude, you are off the track. You still have got leaven in your heart. That is the major, major leaven you have to put out of your heart, pride. And you can only do so by humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Look what Paul writes. Paul, no, Paul knew, Paul suffered a lot. He says, therefore, he says, if there is any consolation in Christ, Philippians 2, 1. Any comfort of, of love. Look at the words. Any fellowship of the Spirit, Spirit of God. Any affliction, affection and mercy. It says, fulfill my joy, verse 2. Being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind, what? With Christ. See, Christ went through what we are going today. And he wants us to be following his attitude. Let, it, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. There is your pride. Or conceit. Or lordliness of mind. Let, look at, look at what comes. Let each esteem others better than himself. It isn't easy, is it? Maybe you're very bright. Maybe you are a genius. This is someone poor, almost without education. You have to be able to esteem him or her better than yourself. That's what we're talking about. Because all of us are potentials of God's being God's family. Let each of you, he says, verse uh, 3, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. This is what we're talking about. If you don't understand this or practice this thing, you don't know what the week of unleavened bread is. Then you don't know what it means to be in the church of God. Then you don't, you're not sure that you'll be always in the church of God. That's why some people left. Because they did not practice these type of teachings. You remember again, coming back to Christ's example, Matthew 18, take note, he, he pointed out to a child, he says, the child is the one who is the greatest among you. And the, the, the disciples are questioning Christ, who is the greatest among them, just prior to Christ being crucified. This is our human nature. This is what we have to be really able to understand. Matthew 18, verse 4. Whoever humbles himself as a little child, he says, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's continue. One of the reasons, one of the ways you can really stop criticizing or not judging is, remember Matthew 7, verse 1. So those are rules. Matthew 7, 1. It says, judge not that you will not be judged. Once you start thinking this way, then you be careful when you start judging or criticizing. 
For what? Judgment, verse 2. You judge, you will be judged. With measure, whatever measures you use, you will be also measured to pact to you. See, brethren, we have to watch the, we have to understand. What God tells us is for our goods. Nothing in all of God's teaching is for, let's say, make life miserable for us. It looks as though it's, we are miserable because we are fighting against our human nature. Those things are against our human nature. But once you know that you be judged by the, just the way you judge, then you are more careful. Those who left the church or might leave the church haven't understood or grasped or believed these truths. Some of them are my friends. I still love them. I still in, I'm in touch with some of them. I love them. You see, they let themselves, let's say, be deceived by pride, by whatever it might be, and they lost the true meaning of being called. If God was calling us, for calling us because he wants us to be great, I think we, 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 we misunderstand the reason for our calling. God wants us to serve more. The more we serve, we serve the greater in God's eyes. This is the basis. We have to know that we depend on God. We trust Him. As Christ says, I will never leave you. See, those are principles which will help us fight against Satan's snares. And we're talking about this number two snares. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Likewise, it says, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Be submissive to one another. God resists the proud. There it is. Verse 5. But gives grace to the humble. See, brethren, if God's people from the very beginning understood this, then the church of God would have been different today. But God allowed it. God allowed Satan to just uh, deceive some of the members. Uh, don't uh, tell me whether they are committed in part of but I don't know. All I know that God is fair, God is just, and God will see to it that everyone has a chance to, if need be, to repent, whatever it is. So, let's continue because of time. The third snare. What did Satan do to the first couple? He wanted them to be jealous or covet, covet, covetousness. Christ had told them they will not, they will die if they took of the um, forbidden fruit. But they were, they were covet, covetous. And the same thing, Satan will see to it that you are victim to covetousness, you covet things. So the third snare is covetousness. Don't covet. Don't desire things to which you have no right. Covetousness is wanting something to which is not yours. You don't have any right. Be thankful once again with what we have. 
Be thankful because that's what you are going to use to be able to enter God's kingdom. Why did our forefathers fall? Because they were looking around. They want to be like other nations. And what did other nations have? Liberty of committing sin without being punished as they reasoned. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5, verse 21. What did God say? Don't covet. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You should not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, everything you want. No, anything that is your neighbor's, don't covet. This is something that Satan will stir up to people in the church. And has. They coveted someone's position. They want to be bigger than whatever it is. Brethren, I repeat, be thankful for what you have. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. Yet today, look around. Look at, look at the world. Everything which they can sell people in the world, they will present in such a way it will be attractive to your eyes. Sex is part of it. And of course they will present a beautiful girl selling a girl, selling a car. The car has nothing to do with the girl. <laughs> Not really. But that's what they will present it. Whatever the product it is. So, as though they purposely, willfully break God's laws of covetousness. The whole commerce is advertising is based on covetousness. Everything is presented in such a way that it attracts to your senses. What did Solomon write in Proverbs chapter 30? Proverbs 30 verse 7 to 9. There is so much in the Proverbs that you can really learn from. He says... Two things I request of you, Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. That's so interesting because today when you see, look at the advertising, it's all lies. They want to buy something you don't need. They want to buy something you don't really perhaps appreciate, but they almost force you to want it. This is Satan's way of doing things. And then Solomon says, verse 8, Remove falsehood, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. This too, it's a beautiful, beautiful advice. If you have more or less, look, at, look what happens. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I, boo, uh, lest I be full and deny you. And this happened, I've seen. Some people have led the church because they were offered beautiful jobs, big jobs. I've seen it. They were not happy with what requested, what they were receiving. But if they were, let's say, offered Sabbath-breaking job and they made five times more money, they left. That's what Paul Solomon is saying. Lest I be fooled and deny you. Yes, you be full for the timing, then what? And say, 
who is the Lord. That's why people do, some people leave the church. Or lest I be poor and steal. Those two extremes are dangerous. That's why I say be happy and thankful for what you have. And profane the name of, oh my God. Brethren, God has the answer to all of our problems. And this week that we just finishing out today is gives us the understanding of what it means to be really without leaven. Those are leavens. Again, just jumping here, Ecclesiastes, verses, verse 5 and 10. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who lives silver will not be satisfied with silver. In other words, there's no end. I have never seen anyone who really loves money very much stop at any time satisfied with what he has. You want more? Do you know that people who make $100,000 a year they know they don't have enough compared to let's say who makes only twenty thousand a year. People who make one million a year, they don't think they have enough. Because they don't know how to manage their appetite. Likewise over here you can see if you love silver, you won't be, won't be satisfied. Uh, nor he who loves abundance with increase why this is also vanity you know it is sad to say I, I came to this country when this country was physically speaking at its, at its pride it was so beautiful to be 50 years ago here and see what USA was some of you are not 50 so you don't know what it was it was so beautiful, it was so different still human nature but it was, people were kinder to each other but today, covetousness has become a master and has really become in such a weapon in especially advertising hands. Brethren, don't let yourself be fooled. If God says that you should keep the Sabbath, don't let anything happen. Even if you are offered millions of dollars, you keep the Sabbath and turn down. I remember Mr. Nadi and I some time ago we went to on a baptizing tour back in 62 I guess 62, 63 and we went to see a family beautiful family he had a farm, big farm beautiful children I mean we spent the two or three hours with them in every respect they were converted couple, converted in brackets so we had no reason to just not to baptize them but all of a sudden, I don't. I think it was Mr. Meredith. I'm not sure. He said, "Well, you have a tremendous crop here. What do you do when harvest time comes? How do you harvest? Do you keep the Sabbath?" You know, the answer was, "Look, God has made all the fruits. God has made the harvest possible. God knows that at harvest time, once you start harvesting." Sabbath or no Sabbath, you have to go through, you cannot, you cannot stop. So they did break the Sabbath only once a year, the harvest time. 
And it's interesting. In the reasoning, it makes sense to our human mind. God has made it. You're going to have all these fruits God has spoiled. So, of course, we didn't baptize them. I don't know what happened to them. There it is. In their own minds, they were justified. There's that leaven again. In, uh, perhaps I have time to give you one more example here. In Acts chapter 8, here's a typical example of someone who is covered, covetousness. Acts 8, verses 18 to 19. You know the story of Simon the Magus or Simon the Magician. He's a man who was a magician by himself, and uh, he was doing great things, humanly speaking. He was a false prophet, of course. But then he sees us, Peter, Simon, do big things. And he wants more. In his own eyes, he's great, but he sees Simon, verse 18, Acts 8, 18, through laying over hands of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given. He, Simon, offers them money. There it is. Not only he did not understand, but he was covetous. covetous. He, wanted, he says, give me, verse 19, this power so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. The man's attitude was wrong. His understanding was wrong. Everything, he didn't get the point. You know, during the rest of the story, you can't read it. Peter says, look, unless you repent, you're going to die. And he was not baptized, far from it. And I'm sure that uh, he died in his sins. Hopefully not forever, I don't know. That's up to God. In Matthew chapter 10, that's one example which should all remember and think of it seriously. You see, when God called you, and called me. He set some rules. Some of us misunderstand. The principle is God does not want us to suffer. That's a principle. God does not want us to leave our families. That's true. Yet in Matthew 10, he says, verse 35, look at, try to understand. He says, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. This is happening today. And some people say God is cruel. No, if you understand the purpose, the reason for this verse. God wants us to be happy. But God wants us to know that God comes first in our lives. It doesn't mean you have to leave your wife. It means you have to put God first. If it means to leave in your wife, that's a choice you have to make. He says, for a man's enemies will be his own, of his own household. He who loves, verse 37, father or mother more than me, there it is. That more is making a difference. It's not worthy of me. And Satan would see to it that we use, misuse such verses. I've seen people say, look, I cannot leave my wife, and so forth. 
because uh, she's not in the church, therefore I have to be with her. Well, I understand it doesn't mean you have to leave your wife. But there's a way of helping your wife stay with you, or you stay with her. I remember, again, a case in France long ago. A man was in the church, of course. He came every time to the Feast of Tabernacles. The wife did not. She was not in the church. And she threatened one year her husband saying, if you go to the Feast of Tabernacles, I leave you. It's a choice. He came to me and said, Mr. Apartheid, what do I do? I said, what do you want to do? That's it. It's not me to decide. He says, I don't want to lose my wife. I said, I'm sure God doesn't want you to lose your wife. He says, what do I do? I said, I'm asking you, what do you want to do? So he says, I want to keep God's feast. I said, all right. Tell your wife that you love her very much. You wish that she would change her mind. And But you still would like to go to the feast. And he said, if when I came back, I said, well, don't think of when you come back. Do your share. Do your job. And then I said, look, I said, every day send your wife, send your wife a dozen of her roses saying, I love you. <laughs> That's right. I love you and I miss you. You know what? She says, I never thought you would do anything like that. I never thought you And she, she was so impressed and says, well, I, I like your church. I want to be... <laughs> See, there, there's a way of doing it. That's maybe... Therefore, you see, when God says, if you love your mother, your father, your mother, whatever it is, more than me, you're not the worthy of him. Because there's a way of doing it, if you know how to, how to handle it. Okay. So, I want to take an example of Genesis 13. See, Abraham and Lot had a choice. And they had to decide what to do, how to divide the country. Lot looked around, I'm paraphrasing, he chose what was best to the eyes, what looked best. It was. He chose the plain of Jordan, which was, everything was beautiful. Abraham took whatever was left. He did not covet. You know the rest of the story. Lot lost everything he had destroyed this is the beauty of God's laws God knows what is good for us God knows what is good for you don't ever think God wants you to separate from your wife from your husband from whatever it is but if you put God first and you put whatever is right for you from God's side you will never be sorry you might suffer for the time being but you will never be sorry and this is what I've learned in my ministry. This is what I've taught in my ministry. It is not easy because sometimes you say, I wish that God would, would understand me. Well, if you have that type of a thinking, tell yourself, I wish I would understand God. Not vice versa. God always understands you. 
But you don't always understand God. His reasons are good. His reasons are always best for us. Always be on guard. You see, brethren, you will know that Satan will do everything in his power to deceive you. With these three, three scenarios I mentioned. The third one being this covetousness. In closing, let me just cite Hebrews chapter 13, verse, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 5 and 6. <clears throat> let your conduct be without covetousness. It's very clear. Be content with such things as you have. You see, that's what we have been saying all day. That's what it means to put leaven out of your life. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If God can make such a promise to you and to me, we must be foolish not to believe it. If we cannot really just say, look, God knows what he's saying and God is promising us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. If we do his will. The Lord is my helper. Verse 6. I will not fear. Fear is our worst enemy. And Satan wants us to fall to fear. He says, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Today, nations are afraid. Heads of governments are afraid. Because they don't have God as their master. In the church of God, we have God as our Lord, as our helper, as one who is going to be our father forever, spiritually speaking. Brethren, don't underestimate God's promises. If you have not much learned much, let's say, during this feast, remember one thing. The very fact God wanted you to put leaven out of your life was to put Doubts out of your mind, faithlessness out of your mind, rebellion, pride, covetousness out of your mind. So thank, thank God for it, and all you have to receive as a, as a reward is God's kingdom. What a bargain, isn't it? <laughs> we put the leaven out of our lives and we get the kingdom. What's your choice?